Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave, coming to and you from Lynn Valley, Kansas. Lynn Valley, Kansas, and Springfield represent right here. So, yes, uh, thank you guys again for uh, being a part of our podcast and our, our, I guess it's not live cast anymore, but our YouTube uh, channel and everything. But, uh, yes, here we are coming uh, straight out of last week anyway. Dave and I uh, were both at the Missouri or Abolish Abortion Missouri rally. Um, I got to speak. Dave got to pray, especially he got to pray over um, one of the my areas. I guess it's kind of like he's not my senator because my senator has Springfield and but all around Springfield is um, what was his name? What's it? What, I, it's on the tip of my tongue. I wanted to say it. It's Burleson, Eric Burleson. There we go. I didn't even have to search for it. But yeah, Eric Burleson was there and Dave got to uh, pray over him with a large number of people. So it was it was a great time. So we're coming out of that and we wanted to provide some information. Um, if you'd missed it uh, or didn't know about it at all or whatever, we wanted just to produce one more show on the on the rally anyway to because um, there's a really cool story um, about what's what's going on to provide more information because we do if you go to taggeritministries.org slash M-B-A-A. If you go to that, um, I have get into the conversation. So I have the Missouri um, Baptist for abolishing abortion. I've got the uh, a little slideshow of the resolution underneath that says get into the conversation. I've got all the tag your it episodes that deal with abolition. And so you can see the history, the conversations that have been had, get information and all that stuff there. Get into the conversation, have conversations with your family and friends um, and your churchmen and your elders and deacons and all that. Get this, disseminate all this information. This is especially for the Missouri Baptist, but you know, generally this can be applied anywhere. So get, get on that website and uh, get into the conversation is basically all I'm saying. But, uh, but to get into um, what we're talking about today, Dave um, had a wonderful opportunity because um, the rally was on Wednesday. And, but Tuesday, Dave got a really awesome opportunity that uh, we would like to make light of, get the information out, and uh, just let you guys know kind of the air of the room in the state in the church and all that kind of stuff. So Dave, you take it away. What happened Tuesday? What did you yeah, get to do? Yeah, so I got a phone call the Tuesday before, and it was a phone call from Don Hinkle, uh, our good friend at the Missouri Baptist Pathway, who also was at the rally. And I was really glad that the Missouri Baptist Convention sent an actual representative to that rally that was outstanding and had a nice visit with Don. But I got called on not last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before, and invited to have lunch with the governor of the state of Missouri, Governor Mike Parsons. Now, again, I am not in the state of Missouri, so it was even even a, a little bit uh, odd in that component, but I was really glad to be able to be there. Nonetheless, I called a few different people, talked to a few different folks about how I could engage the uh, governor of the state of Missouri, who is a Missouri Baptist, who is a Southern Baptist. And so I was just glad for an opportunity to go to the governor's mansion and to meet with him. Didn't really know what kind of opportunity I would get to engage him because 
No one said, hey, come and have a whole bunch of questions ready. Don just said, hey, come there. Make sure you got money for the tolls and uh, be there at 1115. There's going to be 11 other Missouri Baptists at this meeting. In fact, it ended up being nine pastors besides me, so 10 pastors. And then there was a two representatives from the Missouri Baptist Convention's WMU. Um, it was great. Um, the governor was there and his wife was there. And um, they opened up the discussion with just a brief background on both of them. I didn't know all of the things about Governor Parsons, just a, a very faithful guy uh, when it comes to his faith. I mean that sincerely. He is a churchman through and through. He is also a veteran and also he has served as a highway patrolman in the state of Missouri. So I'm very thankful for those things. His wife likewise grew up in a Christian home, came to faith at a young age, and both of them very sincere about their faith. It was very clear. Uh, the governor thanked the group as a whole for praying for him, specifically during all the COVID shuts downs. And I just thanked him even then for the way that he had handled things. I thought that he did the best he could do. One of the things that I thought real quick is it wasn't uh, abortion, but it was an interesting thing. And I think it's a good piece. He did to me anyways, and to the group disclose how hard it was for him to know how to make decisions, but he was grateful that people prayed. And so I know that that was sincere and genuine. And he has been ridiculed multiple times for his um, inviting Southern Baptist and Christians to pray and to engage. He's very sincere about that. And, and I'm grateful for that. And it was called like a, a faith luncheon. And so it's a really cool um, not all of the pastors were Missouri Baptists, but after the governor and his wife discussed a little bit about their background, he just opened it up and wanted to get some feedback from folks. So that was where I could put my foot in the door. And all so, right. so I, you got to, you got to go out there. And so you're sitting in a room just to, just to, just to paint the picture anyway. Yeah. You're sitting in a room, you got, you got pastors, you've got politicians, um, probably had some, maybe just normal citizenry and all that kind of stuff, a part of it. And so, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, it wasn't like a, about you or anything like that, but, um, in a way, like it's, it's one of those things that, um, you got to be a part of it. You got to speak. That's right. And, uh, that's a wonderful opportunity because, you know, you got this now Kansas boy who has, uh, you know, become a Missouri trader and, uh, <laughs> left my studio. <laughs> um, but no, you got this, uh, you got this, uh, guy, he's, he's been involved in Missouri for so long. Um, and now he's in Kansas, but it's, it's just, it's one of those things that we got to realize this crosses borders and uh, crosses denominations and everything. This is a Christian issue. Really, it is a reality issue and a world issue. Um, but, you know, Dave got to got to be there and uh, sit amongst this, got to hear the governor speak, um, honoring the governor as well. That's what we got to, you know, like as an abolitionist, remember, we've got to not murder people and we can't write injustice in the law. So we've got like two things that we're working with. So we've got to honor people that God has exalted to positions um, in the civil magistrate. Let's honor them. Um, let's uh, speak to them well and gently, but yes, we've got to give them the uncompromising truth about these things, but we need to recognize that, you know, again, God has put these people up now. You know, and, he's put these Adam, people up such... through. Yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll get there real quick, but yeah, yeah, God has people, God has put these people up and um, it might be our votes. They're in there because of us. So there's a little bit of a reflection going on that we need to deal with that got dealt with at the, 
at the rally. So we'll talk about that here, here in a little bit, but we need to honor them that we need to give them the uncompromising truth. And so how were you able, Dave, to um, like, what kind of opportunity did you get? Um, what did you, did you get to speak about? And then, you know, really what was the, um, the uh, air in the room after you got to talk? So I have to say, like, one of the things that was challenging to me, Adam, as I considered and prayerfully went into that meeting was, look, I know that I am in a different position than the governor. I know that I am in a different position, probably, than all the pastors in there, because in their mind, pro-life is the way to go. That's what mm. has been in their mind working. And so knowing that that's a difference, I, I wanted to be really careful, because at the same time, I'm recognizing that the words that I'm going to say are going to fall into what uh, communication theorist sheriff would say their latitude of acceptance, right? I'm going to say things that they're going to agree with, but the reality is they don't actually see the full ramifications of their agreement. So yeah. every time we speak to someone who is pro-life, when we say we want to end abortion, they're always going to be like, yeah, amen. But they don't mean that in the same sense that we do. So you have to go back and you have to re recommunicate what that actually means. So knowing that I had limited time and I didn't want to come across as some strong domineering person, I thought, number one, I'm going to be aggressive when opportunities open for me to speak because I'm not going to get this opportunity again. But at the same time, I've got to do so in a in a very winsome and persuasive manner. I've got to put arguments on the table that, again, I'm gonna use some communication theory here again, that fall within their latitude of non-commitment, right? So Seraph says that every position that we have, and social judgment theory, by the way, he says that every position that we have falls on a continuum, right, of positions. You have your latitude, you have your anchor point, which is where you fall. You have your latitude of acceptance, right? You have your latitude of non-commitment and your latitude of rejection. So I like to think about persuasion theory because it's always so useful. And this is one of those senses where there's a real life application here. So I know that the governor has probably done more for the pro-life movement, right, than most people would ever see as even acceptable. In fact, non-Christians hate him. Pro-choice people hate the governor. So I recognize that. And he, I, I believe, genuinely and sincerely thinks that the pro-life movement, along with a lot of Christians, they think that is a great thing. So they have an anchor point. The pro-life movement is a good thing. We need to pass pro-life legislation. So what I needed to do when I was thinking about it strategically was to present an argument or a concept to him and to the pastors there, because I want to win all of them over to the abolitionist position. I need to present a concept that recognizes where they stand, but is almost a, a, a new type of argument that they haven't heard. Well, the Missouri Baptist Convention, even though their resolution last year was very poorly written, it did use some terminology that was really, really important. And so I knew I could gain a little bit of equal ground with the governor when I said, hey, I appreciate that you're a Missouri Baptist, that you're a Southern Baptist. And this is what I first said to him right off the bat. I would appeal to you, Mr. Governor, to listen to the words that Missouri Baptist and the Southern Baptist Convention has passed, and they have called for equal justice for the pre-born. Mm. Now, that to me is one of the key terms that we need to continue to use. And so when I said, what are you doing 
to demonstrate that you recognize those calls for you directly by name in the resolution to fight for the equal justice of the preborn. There was a pause because I don't think that he had heard it put that way. Even though his name was in that resolution, even though he's probably met with many Missouri Baptists, had he really thought through the ramifications of equal justice for the preborn? Yeah, I mean, just to put an example on this, you know, um, this would be in another way, like, especially like whenever you're talking about like Calvinism, you use the term Calvinism. Yeah. So that's analogous to the using the term abolitionist. And, you know, it's like you say those two terms and immediately fingers go in the ears, eyes get closed, la, 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 la. I don't want to listen to that. So well said. So So well said. What happens is you just teach the doctrines of grace from the scriptures right and so we teach like here here's the analogous part as you go you want equal justice for the pre-born right and then they'll go yeah mm-hmm. because that's what they do want if you are a christian operating off christian principles it's only whenever you go off those into another world view that we've got to expose and this is what dave was talking about earlier they have a world view they're having this conflict of worldviews. Um, and so that's why we can't agree on say this issue. We can agree on, we want equal justice for the preborn, but it's going to be which worldview you're going to operate that gets there is where we need to discuss. And what that does strategically, Adam, and what that does persuasive persuasion theory wise. And again, uh, because I love persuasion theory, I do think about it frequently. And I, I often don't bring some of that into uh, its practical application within apologetics and within even the defense of the Christian faith. But I think it's really interesting because what Seraph would tell you that that does when it comes to persuasion theory is it drops an argument into what's known as the level of non-commitment or the latitude mm-hmm. of long, non-commitment. Because he hadn't really heard that terminology, he had to think through it in a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that terminology of equal justice is a key piece because I don't know a pro-life person who wouldn't hear that idea and be like, that's right. Like the preborn really are people like we truly believe that that life begins at conception. What are the ramifications of that position? So mm-hmm. it, it threw him off for a minute. And then what happened was something that I think will be predictable when you do engage in that language with someone who is classically um, pro-life, what they're going to do is they're going to then revert to their script. And of course, he is a politician. God bless him. He is a Christian. I I believe that sincerely, but he does have a very political mind. So he struggled for a minute on that concept. In fact, you could tell that his mind began to to kind of wait, what equal justice for the pre-born. Then he kind of went into his script of I'm pro-life, there was only 65 abortions in the state of Missouri. I have, we have legislation right now to end the funding of Planned Parenthood in the state of Missouri. And I said, after that, well, Governor, I appreciate that you love the preborn. What I'm asking for you to do is to make sure that legislation gets passed that would provide equal justice for the preborn. And then I said, such as the legislation offered by Senator Moon, SB 699. Amen. I said, unfortunately, unfortunately, Governor, he can't even get a hearing for this legislation. 
and there are pro-life people who are blocking this. Then what happened was, and I do believe that this was sincere. He said, well, I have not read that piece of legislation. And then he said, the issue is that you don't know what's going to get attached to those things, but I appreciate, you know, that you love the, the preborn. So that, and I would say when I ask for, by the way, this is a key thing. When I said, I am appealing to you to fight for equal justice for the preborn. When I said that the whole room, uh, of individuals there clapped, right? So mm-hmm. that resonated not just with uh, not just with the governor, it resonated with all of the pastors and everyone in that room. They, they clapped, right, for that concept. They loved that idea. However, they haven't thought through what that actually means because the lens that they're thinking through, the filter that they have had instilled in them same thing as the governor. The filter is pro-life is enough. So when they hear that term, they're filtering it through, oh, being pro-life is fighting for equal justice for the preborn. No, it's, it's not. You need to recognize that your anchor point, right, your position that the pro-life movement is enough, that needs to be removed. That needs to be changed, right? Yeah, because yeah, we got to recognize the argument's not in the result per se, the the arguments in the it is about the methodology so we end up going you know are we going to um fight injustice with injustice or are we willing to be faithful as we are called to be faithful to god's word and stand in opposition and suffer the ramifications of not compromising that's right and so which what 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 i just said which one is more consistent with scripture and, and that that's, was, that's the conversation. And that was where I then told him very directly. I actually, I don't think that I was rude, but you know how when you, when you have an actual dialogue, sometimes you kind of cut each other off, right? Yeah. And I said, but, but Governor Parsons, you and I know that Roe is not the law of the land. And then when I said that, again, the pastors and those in the room, clapped they stopped and clapped Mm. like he had to wait for them to stop and i said we can stop abortion in the state of missouri we have a super majority you can end abortion i said it is not the federal law and i said guess what even if it was all we have to do is look down to oklahoma where they have completely ignored the federal law when it comes to marijuana I said, it's a sad day when Christians can say those who love weed love it more than Christians love the pre-born. Again, uh, uh, people clapped, right? Uh, there were some other things that were discussed there, and I think that they were really good. But I know, I know for a fact that what I said resonated with some of the pastors because of the nine other pastors there, at least three of them came up to me afterwards as we were walking back out and said, man, thank you for what you said for, about the preborn. I appreciate your passion to protect the preborn. And each of those guys, I said, we're having a rally tomorrow. Senator Mike Moon has a bill to make abortion illegal in the state. You should come. You should be there. They knew nothing about that rally, by the way. Mm. Now, part of that is on us, right? Like we've got to make sure that we're getting that information out. We can. Yeah. And it's one of those things like I just contacted Doug Ritchie um, the other day and I was like, uh, missed you, bud. You know, I've been praying for you, missed you at the rally. And it was like, 
he's like, uh, oh, I never heard about it. And, uh, you know, I was, I was in a, a budget hearing. And so I, I came out of the budget hearing a little bit later that afternoon and, you know, walked into somebody that was talking about it or whatever. And so, yes, I had to, here's what, here's what, here's the main call. I had to say, I'm sorry. And I have to walk in repentance. So if I want Doug Ritchie there, guess what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to tell him, you know? So yeah, yeah, I was busy and stuff, but I should have taken my time going, Hey, I'm going to end up probably maybe not seeing Doug Ritchie there. So let me see if I can get him. And then he can go like, well, I'm in a budget hearing at this time, whatever, whatever he wants to, or whatever he's got to do, whatever he wants to say on that. But, you know, I had, I had to tell him that's on me. You know, that's partially my fault. Um, you know, there's other people that could have contacted him and told him to, but I will take responsibility for, uh, not giving him a link and sending him, Hey, we'll be there. Hey, you want to talk or whatever? You know, there's just a lot of, I can, I can blame my environment and say I was very busy and I was, but you know, sins of omission or little things of omission. I omitted something, um, that I could have easily probably thought about and done, should have thought about and done. And I didn't do it. And guess what? I have to take responsibility. And then I have to repent. If I want Doug Ritchie to come back to a, a, a rally or something like that, I should go, Hey, Doug, this is going on. So I take the blame. I will repent. And if I want him to come back and have a conversation with him, I'll make sure of it. I'll go out of my way to keep, to remember, to put in my brain next time to invite him. So just, it's one of those things. This is a whole repentance issue. This is taking the blame. And I know that sounds trivial, but that is a big deal because I wish that Doug Ritchie was there because um, we know Don Hinkle that invited Dave that we've yeah. had on our podcast before. Um, he was there and it was, it was awesome to just see him there and taking and soaking it in. Yeah. And I'm really thankful. I want to make sure I am so glad that Don was there. I told him directly how much I appreciated him being there. And he wasn't the only Missouri Baptist there. There was another individual who was a senior adult uh, who had done a lot for the Missouri Baptist Convention. And he sat there by um, Don. You could tell they were good friends. And so I was grateful that there was at least another Missouri Baptist kind of outside of, of, of our actual realm of of influence that was was there. And so that was really good. And I think one of the things that we'll want to do next year is make sure that we get a good press release to the um, get a good press release to the um, Missouri Baptist pathway to make sure that people get there. Sorry, my phone rang. I apologize. I didn't have it on. Uh, it happens. I've been, I've gotten one little uh, sound already on the uh, recording anyway, but it's all good. You know, this is informal. People are used to it by now. And uh, I think I've noticed even on free the States, uh, I was listening to a couple of their episodes and I think they had their Facebook open and <laughs> some notifications going on. So, you know, we're doing nothing out of the normal for abolitionists anyway. So it's all right. good. Well, but yes, uh, but yeah, Dave, oh yeah. Got I one. was encouraged yeah. and I, this yeah. is my big piece to anyone who is listening. If you are an abolitionist, recognize that you are going to present an argument that will fall within the latitude of acceptance of almost every pro-life person. Yeah. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that your argument is either presented in a latitude of non-commitment or a latitude of acceptance that's on the far end. Because most of the time, they're, they have a, a strong, heartfelt, sincere position that abortion is evil and abortion is murder. But they haven't really thought through the ramifications of pro-life legislation and how 
that is inconsistent with their fundamental principle that abortion is murder. We don't regulate murder. And so being able to give them language and arguments that are maybe without, uh, that, are, that fall outside of their way of thinking is going to be key. Because I believe that that day, what really resonated was when those pastors said, when they heard me say, equal justice for the pre-born, they thought, yeah, I agree with that. Well, wait, what does that mean? And that is, at least to me, where it, where the rub is. So yeah, uh, it was great to be the here. Next, I would yeah, the next step. the opportunity. Go for it, Adam. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, because the next step is, okay, you agree, equal justice for the pre-born, right? Okay, what does that mean? All right, well, you're going to sign a heartbeat bill into law. All right, the heartbeat bill says you hear a heartbeat. Okay, here's the heartbeat. All right, you can murder babies here. You can't murder babies there. Is that equal justice for the pre-born? They would have to, if they're going to be reasonable, say no. And then you go, so then that is an iniquitous, unjust bill. And yes, you're going to get, well, well, it's what we can do right now. It's like, is it equal justice? And then you just hammer it in. Is that equal justice for the pre-born? No. Okay. Now you go back in the old Testament again, wasn't what's written in the past written for instruction. And that's what, that's another little thing that we have to do as Christians. That's what the Bible has said. That's what Paul has said. It's written for our instruction. And we know that scripture and I'm, I'm utilizing language for my, uh, for my sermon or whatever that I use, but we know that scripture is God breathed and it is the, the old Testament, the, 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 the old Testament, the graph that Paul is talking about there is, is useful and profitable for making one wise to salvation and making one uh, ready for every good work, making one competent for every good work that we know Paul and another place has said that we are to walk in that would been predestined for us to walk in that God has made for us to walk in. Right. Um, so do we, we have to be faithful and the old Testament says, woe to you, all who write unjust laws, who oppress. <laughs> it's like, okay, so what do we do with that? So it's a very deep conversation and it goes against every fiber of our being, especially if we, you know, I was born in 1983. I inherited this argument. I inherited the pro-life movement as being a part of a Christian sphere of things. And I've had to, well, in a way deconstruct, but reconstruct, I have to deconstruct and reconstruct with scripture alone, not taking history and all this stuff and putting that into the text, but I have to derive from the text and these things we cannot do and we have to be instructed by it. And, and so we have to get that to that part of the conversation. They do want equal justice. But are we to, and even in the New Testament, it brings it over, are we to fight evil with evil? And that's what you're doing. And this is where it gets back into those three questions that I asked Doug Ritchie is, uh, and we've mentioned them all right here um, prior going into what happened on Tuesday anyway, but uh, it was, is Roe versus Wade law of the land? No. Okay, correct. Okay, why do you treat it as such? Because others do. The third thing is, you know, so whenever you establish these bills, say like a heartbeat bill and it's murder babies over here, but not over here. Um, doesn't that, is that state permission for the, uh, the abortionist, the moms and dads of these babies that's given them permission to murder them, like how they can, when they can, where they can. And then he had to say no. 
I got shot at for some stuff because of what I said. And then I went public with it. Um, and I am not afraid of public conversation. And that's what I ask for. We said things in public, things need to be taken care of in public, especially since this is a Missouri Baptist issue. Um, that would be awesome. And it can be done. And we can have a brotherly disagreeing conversation and show how to do that instead of just cutting off conversation or whatever. But yeah, well, we went through all me, those kind of things and that's, that's the air of the room. To me, what was nice, I would say, and I want to put something into perspective that I think is key because I had the backing of the Southern Baptist convention's statement on the abolition of abortion. And because while I did not vote for and would gladly vote against again today, the Missouri Baptist resolution to end and abolish abortion, I still was able to use the language and the terms, even as, even as watered down as the Missouri Baptist Convention's resolution was, I was still able to use that and to say, you're a Missouri Baptist, you're a Southern Baptist. These are the positions that our convention holds. Are you going to listen to your, uh, to your denomination's statement? Are you going to agree with that? Are you going to affirm what they have called you to affirm? And so yeah. I think that that was a very, uh, to me, a very beautiful picture of the practical necessity of resolutions and why they are very useful still today. Yeah. So. They, provide, they provide a little bit of force on that issue. And yes, you know, you got the outside folks that are going to be like, Oh, you're just trying to jam that Baptist, you know, your, your specific kind of Christianity. And it's, you know, I've gotten that too. And it's like, well, no, we can all pretty much agree. That's a, that's a solo scripture issue. And that is a uh, baseline Christian thing, not a denominational thing. But then we've got to discuss a lot of other things in that conversation of what, uh, you know, the Constitution actually meant um, when it said uh, religion <laughs> and, you know, and, and what that word meant at the time. But then again, it's another worldview conversation. It's a disconnected worldview that ends up redefining what those words mean instead of actually doing critical analysis of where these things come from and what, or what is the presupposition of things and all that kind of stuff. Like we are, because it's a postmodern thing, because the enlightenment failed, yeah, we're in postmodern times and you know, the meta narrative has gone, but then if the meta narrative has gone, like have fun in your arbitrary land and I'm just going to keep you to it, push that antithesis. That's um, the way that we argue. But anyway, um, before we get into what happened on Tuesday, anyway, um, I just wanted to mention because, you know, we, we don't want to be one trick ponies. We don't want to just be constantly uh, hitting a single issue. We want to make sure that we are a resource that provides, um, you know, many topics um, and uh, make sure that there's a lot of equipping going on, be it with whatever issue um, it is. But uh, I just wanted to say, you know, it's again, and I've said it on past shows, um, you know, why are we in this abolition thing? Why do we talk about it a lot? Well, one, I mean, we're pretty darn active <laughs> in it. So there's a lot of things going on um, that we're doing that we can talk about. So it becomes a content generation or generator because we are doing things um, instead of just sitting back talking like there's stuff to talk about in that. But it's a multifaceted issue. OK, yes. so we need to understand that, you know, whenever we're talking about the image of God and man. Like that is a baseline issue for every single issue. So if God has not given us an inherent 
who like, you know, the image of God, if we don't have inherent dignity, if we don't have inherently anything, um, if we're begging the state for a definition of person, that's called tyranny. That's what will happen. If, uh, you know, but the funny thing is, is while people are trying to go to the state, define this for us, define us, protect us at the same time, they're saying, oh, I get to create my own reality. You don't see a problem there. So who gets to define who? Hmm. That's what you're left with in postmodernism. You've left the meta narrative. You've left the God who has transcended, who has spoken to man via covenant, was pleased to do so. And that's how things work. This is the, let me move my head here. This is the tag you're at podcast. That's what this means. It's the transcendental argument for God that without him, you cannot prove anything. You have to have this transcendent covenant making God who speaks and has given us covenantal revelation. And you leave that, then you're left with, well, we need to beg the state for a definition. But at the same time, we get to make our own definition. And then you've got a constant fighting. And so like Hegel would say that we'll just hold these in tension and all that kind of stuff. Well, <laughs> you see how that tension's working. We're fighting each other. We're eating each other alive. How do you like that? It's called anarchy. And then you're going to have this tyranny come in from the state that we've allowed to uh, rise above us and, you know, a, a court system that we get to say rules on high, you know, like that's not the system that's in place, you know, but because of all the absurdity, because of all the sin, because the church has been limp in this, because we have been a flaccid church, not standing on the word of God, not standing firm for what the truth is. Here we go. We got it. And this is what Brett Baggett said. These people are in there because of you, you voted these people, this is all happening because you're not talking because you're not doing anything. You know, he definitely uh, poked it right back at the people. So we do, especially in America as citizens, we bear the weight of this because we're lesser magistrates in this. We get to have a role. It is a government for the people by the people, right? So we have responsibilities. If you don't like something and you don't do anything about it, guess what? Prepare to get steamrolled. All right. So Christians, you are a churchman church man and woman, uh, you are citizens. So you have two jurisdictions right there. If we want to talk about any sort of intersectionality, even though there's no intersection, there, there are two separate jurisdictions that you have separate things for and responsibilities for, but you are Christians, you're churchmen and you are citizens and God has given you responsibility. So stop having a dead faith and have an active faith and show your faith, prove your faith by your works. If you want babies to stop being murdered, go out there and do it. Or else you're going to show that you have a dead faith, that you do not believe God, that you do not believe Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning and will squash all his enemies under his feet. Do you believe that? Show it. Because how has he given us, what has he given us to do in order for that to come about? Because we get to work with Jesus as our King. So it's, that's the cool thing. But anyway, that's why we're in this issue. That's why it seems like we might be hitting it a lot. It is a multifaceted issue. Um, so um, Dave, I know that you're, you're happy to be in the fight. I'm happy to be in the fight. I don't, it's one of those things that I know we're both going like, what are we doing at times? Like <laughs> we have to say hard things. Um, we have to be ready to lose relationships. Hopefully it's not on our end. Hopefully we suffer because we have tried and done our best and argued persuasively and winsomely and they have left us you know yeah, we don't want to do that but go again for it. one of our goals always in dealing with this topic is not just to affirm 
the abolition of abortion because that is an incredibly important thing, but it's because it's consistent with the way that we view reality as God has transcended and spoken so clearly about humanity and what are the ramifications of holding that position and doing so consistently. It's a call for consistency. And that is a key piece, I think, for us as Christians to always be going back and checking if our actions and if our behavior in the public sphere and in the private sphere is consistent with what we profess. And so we couldn't help but deal with this issue from the very outset because of the way that we have allowed the revelational epistemology to guide our behavior and actions. And certainly there's many areas of sin that we struggle with. We're not saying that we're somehow better or greater. What we're saying is, hey, we've seen the ramifications and the impacts of being consistent with this. Now, that means that we must call for the immediate abolition of abortion, for the criminal punishment of those who would murder their babies. That is an exceptionally important thing. And we must uphold that standard because God is just. And I think that so many people did an excellent job of bringing that out, whether it was Brandon, whether it was Josh, whether it was Kevin, whether it was you, Adam, whether it was Brett, the implications of our worldview, of the reality that we have a revelational epistemology are seen in this issue in a way that is right now impacting our society. There cannot be a consistent Christian who is pro-choice. There cannot be a consistent Christian who is being pro-life. That's the massive paradigm shift that has been called for with this statement. We started on a faulty premise and what we should have done, and Josh pointed it out so clearly, was when Roe versus Wade was when that decision came into being, there should have been Christians saying, no, no, we will not give way to that. And that should have started from the people in the pew and worked its way up. And that's not what happened. We were submitting to a law and principle that was counter to the Christian worldview and counter to revelational epistemology. Yep. It's uh, under the orders of, because uh, every every uh, conversation devolves into talking about Hitler, right? So becomes the, the person that say in a uh, dump truck, do they, uh, do they be complicit with everything or do they stand up and lose their lives over having to dump those dead bodies in a, a, a mass grave, you know, even down to something that, you know, I'm just following orders. I didn't kill them, you know, I'm just gonna just dump them in this mass grave. Or do you stand up and go, I'm not, nope, nope. And then if they shoot you, you take it. Yeah, that's another word that needs to be talked about is the uh, just to understand whenever we're talking about witnessing, we're we're not witnessing these days. We're not getting taught to witness because the Greek word for witness is Maitreya, where we get the word martyr from. So, I mean, if you want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, it's not just a be a just a little uh, conversation over coffee and just be like, oh, I told him about Jesus. No, it's uh, I pursued them and 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 said that Jesus is the only way. And, and, and for the risk of not being friends with them anymore because they can't take my Jesus, um, losing my job because they can't stand my Jesus, um, to having to get like black food. But then again, there's the church, there's other things. I mean, there's, there's a multifaceted thing 
there, but we have to stand up and actually be the biblical witness to the truth in this. And so, yeah, so I guess uh, to get, uh, we've already sort of talked about Tuesday in a way, but you know, it was, it was awesome um, Tuesday to be a part of that. I've never, like, I never in a million years would think that I'd be in the rotunda, um, you know, holding on to a little uh, podium with the Missouri state seal on it, you know, being able to say what I did. And it's really funny because after I, when I got home, I showed uh, Cassie the video because um, I asked her, or my wife anyway, the video. And I was like, did you get to watch it? You know, she's with the kids all day. Never expect her to like watch something in time or whatever, but watched it and like <laughs> it gets halfway through it. And she's like, you know, in other places, like they would have cut your mic. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you know what? You know what? You're right. You're right. You know? And so that's one thing that I can be grateful for. I stood in the rotunda and I said stuff. <laughs> I said stuff that would get people ticked off that. I'm, you know, it's one of those things that, that the climate that we're in, it's a wonder that somebody didn't come out and find the soundboard and go like, shut up. <laughs> like this guy is slandering people, blah, 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 you know? And, and, but you know, I got, I got to speak. I got to speak loudly. I got to say what I wanted to say. So we have a window open. So if you read the Christian manifesto from uh, Francis Schaefer, that's, that's a wonderful thing. He talks about, let's do this while we have a window open, especially here in Missouri. Like we have a window open to where you can do that. So thank God for it, but don't be passive, be active, utilize it. <laughs> you know, so that was a wonderful thing. So, yeah. So yeah, I got to be up there and be a part of that. Um, but it was awesome to see Josh and Brandon. It was awesome to finally meet Brett Baggett in person and, you know, just thank him for, cause he'd come off of like three or four days of just preaching and he drove all the way from Oklahoma. It's like, you know, I was, I'm used to like, if he came to Springfield, it wouldn't be so bad, but he had, he had the extra distance of coming to the Capitol too. So, you know, he was, he's been, I'm sure he was, he had to be tired or whatever, but he came and spoke and gave us a wonderful word that um, was balanced um, by the word and poked everybody in the face with the truth and everything. Rusty did a really great job um, coming from Texas to Missouri. Yeah. So, you know, Christians caring about Christians in other States you know, again, this is not a, we, the only, the reason why there is a divide is because we need a jurisdiction that we have to at least start the process of actually ignoring Roe. And so it's like, you know, are we going to get Texas? Are we going to get Oklahoma? Are we going to get Missouri? Whatever, whatever it is, that's the incrementalism. That's okay. One of the things that was interesting about my discussion with the governor was that when I told him and he was well aware of the legislation that has now gone to the Supreme Court regarding Mississippi law. What he had told me was in the state of Missouri, if Roe versus Wade is ever overturned, then that's the end of abortion in Missouri. I, I'm not so sure that that is actually the case. Um, yeah, I'd like to know that because the, okay, so just to let people know there, there are trigger laws. And um, if you've listened to uh, Apology Radio and stuff, they've, they've talked about this stuff too. Um, Doug Wilson has, even though he wants us to say thank you to the pro-life movement. And there's, an, uh, there's another good one by Apologia where they actually, because you do have people that respect Doug Wilson like me too, but they, they did a really good treatment of going, I'm going to grab you by your theonomy, Doug. <laughs> and so there's an episode of that. So listen to that. We don't have to reiterate that here. Um, yeah, we got the trigger laws that do um, come into effect, but what does that do? do the trigger laws actually still create equal justice or do they still allow for women who have premeditated murder? Do they allow them off the hook because of intersectionality? Cause remember we have that in there. So 
is it equal justice to where if a woman who were to like, I want this person in me dead, that's called murder. Even the thought Jesus says is murder. Mm. Now we don't stone people over thoughts, but whenever that thought turns into the fruit, which is they go seek, say it's, say it's abolished. They say we, we have made the abolitionist profession illegal. Um, this woman has gone into a back alley, um, gotten it done. And we find out that this person, like, like she's, well, she's in the hospital because she bled out because that's really stupid and ignorant to do and foolish to do. But she goes into the hospital, you know, you're sitting there going like, Oh, Oh, sorry that you had to do that. So, or no, we're going like, yes, you tried to murder a human being. And yes, you murdered a human being that's inside of you. Yes. And this is what happens and they need to be dealt with justly, you know? So that's, that's the thing is, um, do those trigger laws provide equal justice still? I'm going to probably highly doubt it, but it'd be something to look into. The all, the other thing is, is that's what they, that's the bait. That's the bait that they try to get you off track with. No, no, we need to do it now. Like we don't need to wait. So yes, the federal government needs to repent and they need to say, we should have never done this. We should not be, they're calling it healthcare. So I can tell you right now, government should not be involved in healthcare. That's not their jurisdiction. Their jurisdiction is justice, not healthcare. So, you know, they, if they throw it back to the States and yeah, we get rid of it. This is where Doug Wilson would say, well, you should th say thank you to the uh, incrementalists. It's like, no, <laughs> we don't have to say thank you. My greatest it's, it's walk God. away. Again, it gets, it gets in back into what I was talking about the whole Reuben and Judah issue um, in my sermon. Anyway, we are not going to say thank you to Judah and Reuben for at least keeping Joseph alive. Okay. We're not going to do that. Now, if you are Sailhammer, John H. Sailhammer, he is the one that I, I utilized in, in my sermon. I was reading this um, commentary and, you know, this is what it says. It says uh, when Reuben, when the focus of Reuben or when the focus of the narrative returns to Reuben and to the outcome of his plan to deal with Joseph, ironically, it serves only to underscore the role of Judah in the actual rescue of Joseph. Reuben had no part in the plan to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Ultimately, it was Judah who saved the life of Jonah or of uh, uh, Joseph. And I'm sitting here going like, there it is. Even in our commentaries, do we see the worldview switch? We see an imminent, relativistic, pragmatic worldview. Because you forgot to do your theological reflection to the end of the story where that's called evil. And then you forgot to go to Paul when it says, we don't do that. We uphold the law. So God saves, great thing. So if the, if the Supreme Court reverses their decision, thank God, not incrementalists. Get oh. rid of your pride. Lose your pride, pro-life people. Lose right. it. And that's, you get none of this. And that kind of brings me to this component, my biggest walk away I, or takeaway from my meeting on Tuesday was how much more work we have to do because those pastors Many of them were Missouri Baptists, but not all of them were. They had not heard these things. They had no clue um, about the problems within the pro-life secularist movement. Um, that is an issue. That's why we need to continue to say these things again and again and again. If you are an abolitionist, you need to be strategic. You need to be very purposeful, you need to be winsome, and you need to make sure that you're pointing to those connecting points and then calling into question the consistency with which a typical pro-life pastor will uh, 
we'll move forward with things. And that's what I was reminded of more than anything was here are a group of brothers. They actually do really love the preborn, but they haven't thought through the ramifications of their deep held and long held position. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to, yeah, again, we have to repent from the starting point. We need to repent from the fact that we didn't do it. We didn't do right from the beginning. And the cool thing is, is Jesus is the only one that can grant you repentance because he's the truth because of what he, the, the word he gave from the father to us through the apostles, through the old Testament too. like, this is the only worldview that will let you just pack up and move. You can pack up your things because Christ absorbed all your sin. And so all you have to do is change your mind, walk the other direction. And it's a easy yoke. And so we don't have to ground and pound. Like, again, there's no ex post facto sin hunting in the past to put people in jail over their murder. No, let's just from this day forward, we do not do this anymore. And so if you're caught doing this, you get justice served to you. So that I know I've had, a, I've talked to another uh, representative that brought that. And I'm like, that is not right. That is a straw man argument. Cause they're going, if it was 30 years ago that we did this, you know, how many people in the pro-life movement would have been put in jail over it? And it's like, no, they wouldn't have, it would have been that day that they called it illegal. Then dealt with from that day, everything in the past. And that's the reason why we can do that as Christians, because if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, everything that is sinful has already been placed on Jesus Christ and put underneath the wrath of God for you. So this is the only worldview that provides repentance. And so why are we so reluctant? Why do we wince whenever repentance is at? Cause like, it's so it's, it's easy, but your pride, get off your pride. Don't have your pride. God saves man sins, both co-equal issues. We do not praise man for a compromising rescue. We do right in the sight of God with the word of God is that that, and that's what we're calling for. That's, that's it. You know, I get passionate and heated, but it's not out of anger. It's just like, if I get this, like, I really don't think much of myself, I guess. And I, I go, if I can get this, you know, and you know, like, why can't you? And that's kind of the thing. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing is we can talk, we can love on one another and we can continue this conversation as Dave is saying, we need to constantly just over and over again over and over again. Let's keep talking. Let's hold them to equal justice. Let's do this. And, um, you know, we got the ultimate thing is we've got to get in sackcloth and ashes and go, God, will you grant us repentance? Cause we can't repent on our own. We have to beg God. Will you, will you call this nation to repentance? Will you allow this nation to repent? Will you allow the state of Missouri to repent? Will you allow me to repent? Do I need to repent instead of just your pride sticking up going, I, there's nothing, there's nothing that we can call to repentance here. And that's what I'm saying in the pro-life movement is, oh, we don't have to repent of anything. It's like, you better ask yourself the question whenever you say, I don't have to repent of anything, just at least a, a good safety measures to maybe I do, maybe I do. I can talk. Yeah. That's so well said, Adam. I think that praying that God would grant us repentance, which was something that you shared in your uh, sermon was such a key thing. And that's something that's not said enough. The abolitionists need to pray that the pro-life movement will be granted repentance, that pro-life brothers and sisters will see the consequences of the 
iniquitous decrees that they have affirmed, supported, and put forward. And then the money that they've used to line the pockets of the secularist pro-life industry. Yeah, yeah. But it was a wonderful thing. We again, we had uh, Don Hinkle there. That was a, a wonderful sight to see. And so, Don, if you're watching this, if you hear about this, if you know Don, tell him, hey, those boys at Tag Your It said thank you so much for being there. And I made sure to go out of my way, shake his hand, and just say thank you, brother. Thank you for being here. It's really awesome to see you here. And that's the only interaction I got with him. He was a pretty busy dude up there because he's well known or whatever. But I got to at least uh, say thank you, um, you know, and just thank you again to Wes Scroggins for putting it on and and allowing us to be a part of it um and then um i don't know all the speakers you know josh brandon uh kevin uh rusty brett baggett you know that was great all the prayers all the songs there's was, was really awesome because there's some like specifically abortion um like issued like lyrics through in some of those songs and that was i'm like i'm singing this going like oh this is hard <laughs> you know <laughs> just because like it's it's right but it's like so so gross to see what we're singing about it's like it's gross but like but we're speaking prophetically about it we need to repent from you know the murder of the preborn. like and we're singing songs like it's just we don't sing like that we don't sing in precatory psalms um we sing light and fluffy stuff so whenever you start singing like stuff like that you know like i'm sitting here like i'm singing it it's the truth and i believe it but dang that's that's those are some strong um, words to sing but you know it was a wonderful time and so you know we'll continue you know we pray for wes and and uh to continue with uh missouri um or the uh, abolish abortion missouri um you know dave and i will be by his side in that um, and just Mike Moon will be by his side as long as he's in politics. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get the word out from what he does because I don't think he's wavering at all. I don't think he's going to give up. And I've been told by Wes, you know, even Mike Moon like puts his hands on his head going, what am I doing? What am I doing? So, you know, he is a human. He needs prayer. He needs the Holy spirit. Um, he needs his brothers and sisters. And so that's what we're here for. But, you know, I'm so thankful for the opportunity, but uh, just like what uh, Brett Baggett said, we don't need to be rally abolitionists. We need to be everyday abolitionists. So like the church, like we will make fun of the people that come to church on Easter and Christmas. Uh, let's not be those kind of Christians. Let's not be those kind of abolitionists. So let's do these things. Let's have these conversations. Let's have these conferences and stuff like that. But it's going to come down to you calling, getting to know your senators, getting to know your representatives, making a relationship with them at some level, email, um, calling, all that kind of stuff. Looking like go to their go to the uh, Missouri uh, website and find out the bills that they do have because I found out Doug Ritchie had a barber bill saying that uh, after 20 years of uh, being a licensed barber, um, there should be a lifetime license. And you know, I'm like, that's kind of cool. Thank you for thinking of barbers, you know, so I can sit there and like, go like, thank you. I can honor him and say, I like that, but you're, you know, incrementalism here, <laughs> you know, like we disagree on that, but you know, you can, you can look up what else have they done. And uh, if they've done something well, pat them on the back, have their back, tell them that you have their back on these issues, but you have to go, you know, over here with this, that I agree with you on, it's not consistent with what you're doing over here. And, and, uh, you know, just point that out, use that as an entry point for a conversation. And then it comes out down to, we do have responsibility. We do have some authority and we can go like, if you do not change on this, we will vote you out and you get enough people. And that's the way this whole system works. And it's a awesome gift of God that will go away. If you constantly seek 
the, uh, the federal magistrate to define who you are and what you get to do. So, you know, that will quickly go away. If you do not get active, you'll get steamrolled. So, you know, we got, we got to um, do this as churchmen. We've got to do this as citizens um, within um, the confines that God has placed us in, in the here and now. Well, Adam, I think that that is well said. I don't know that I have anything that I can add to that. Um, I talk man, I appreciate you giving me this time this morning. We usually don't oh, record in the morning like this, but I'm glad that we were able to We haven't to do done that. this since the lockdowns of COVID, you know, uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> it has been a nice, nice early morning. I, I forgot to do my whole like coffee pour thing. I should have done that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I got mine right here in my North American mission board. Got the name. I'm, I'm a rep in my church redeemer in two different ways. So yeah, I've got a, you know, redeemer. Oh, what am I doing? I'm looking at the screen, which my redeemer logo is over here, but it's actually right there. So yeah, uh, repping my church today. So. And by the way, I have an Adoniram Judson uh, portrait for you. Next well, time. thank you very I much, you. sir. Thank you. I'll take, I'll take it. We'll have to get you some stuff that I've printed off, um, save on the postage and actually, uh, make a, uh, another reunion. So I didn't know if uh, you saw, I did, uh, share in my story, our picture that we were sitting on the couch together and I made sure to pick some music for it. Uh, nice. No, I didn't. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, it was great. We got a lot of smiles so i will be down in the area i'll be in bolivar for a trustee meeting on monday the gosh what is that the 11th of march something like that i believe it's the well, 11th of march but we'll have to have a reunion and then we'll have to make it to where people can be like hey they're together again in person <laughs> so we can make that happen but i guess since uh dave has uh been uh, found speechless we'll uh end this show uh for today and get on to next week whenever next week happens lord willing anyway but thank you so much for being a part of this please uh be in prayer for uh you know not only us but be in prayer for your civil magistrates be in yes. prayer especially for those who are your brothers and sisters in christ that have been granted their position of the sword bearer in your state Pray for them, honor them, talk to them, give, you know, sharpen them with the gospel, let them sharpen you too, and then have this back and forth. But let's get this, uh, you know, let's, we got to talk and we got to stop being apathetic. And if you're a Missouri Baptist, you said that you wanted to repent from your apathy. So repent from it. And then also um, equal justice. We're going to nail you down on that one, because if you look at the rest of that resolution, it does not equal equal justice. And then please look at it. I, I have to beg. It's, it's not I'm not like sitting here like forcing and or trying to have power over anybody. I'm sitting here going like you agreed to this, but look at the document. It is horrendous because it's not equal justice and it praises injustice. Yeah. So once we can get to that point and, and, and talk, then we can be reasonable and our words can have meaning. And our lives can have meaning in one in each other's lives here because we got to be reasonable and be able to speak. And we are at a point right now that we cannot even speak because of the inconsistencies. So we got to repent and be the church that we're called to be. So with that said, this is the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And so Deo. Gloria. <laughs>